0: Um, This morning I want to speak to you about graciously growing older. You might wonder why do I need to hear a sermon about growing older. I'm in my twenties, I'm not old. And uh, and you might be even in your fifties thinking, oh, I'm not old, but maybe you are. But uh, no, but, uh, (laughs) but uh, no, this, I, I really think that this is the message we need to hear as early in life as possible. Uh, it, it's, it's really because, I, and I think in our age, people are getting more cynical faster. Right, we're getting cynical at a uh, at a younger age than we did earlier. And so the question I want to ask today is, how do you, uh, how does the grace of God help you grow older graciously, not cynically? Uh, there's an old uh, advertisement about 11 years ago, there was an advertisement uh, about, uh, It begins with this older man. And this older man is uh, getting younger as the ad progresses. And the narration goes like this. Life should be the other way around. You should be born old. Spend, Spend your first years resting. See your aches and pains disappear. Start working as the boss. Be under less pressure. Take fewer and fewer decisions and then when you're in the prime of your life you buy a mercedes-benz and i wonder is that true is, is this true is, is joy and pleasure and prosperity only for the young uh, i think the person that we're about to read about this morning uh, would have words to say to mercedes-benz uh, we're going to read about a, uh, a woman named anna in the gospel of luke and anna's name means grace that's the meaning of her name So the question we want to ask is, what does Anna, what does Grace have to teach us about how we can grow older graciously, not cynically? Uh, So let me read to you, first of all, uh, this beautiful passage. It's uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 36 uh, to 38. Uh, Let me read to you. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was eighty four she did not depart from the temple worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at that very hour she began to give thanks to god and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of jerusalem now it's amazing there's more than eighty four years of her life that are summarized in these uh, handful of verses And so the question I want to ask today is, how how can the grace of God help us grow older graciously, not cynically? I want to point out three things. The grace of God exposes us, uh, the grace of God equips us, and the grace of God enables us. So the grace of God exposes us, it equips us, it enables us. Uh, First of all, it exposes us. Anna exposes how we think about growing older. Uh, We don't often think well about aging. You know, uh, in, we live in a time where the young are celebrated and the elderly are tolerated. You know, you just kind of bear with them. And, uh, and you don't want to grow old because you might lose that, that, uh, that life-giving youth, you know. Uh, people complain about growing older and they're nostalgic about when they were younger. You know, every birthday, uh, every particularly every birthday of a decade comes with a consolation. Oh, don't worry, the thirties are the new twenties, don't worry, the forties are the new thirties and you know, we're constantly consoling one another every birthday. Uh, the, the in-room dining where I was staying at in the hotel, it has in the menu anti-aging juice <laughs> and anti-aging breakfast, right? Uh, Uh, The global anti-aging industry was worth 63 billion dollars last year. It's going to be 100 billion dollars in another seven years. You know, and I, and I, when I was younger, I remember that I couldn't wait to grow older. You know, because when I was a child, I wanted to grow older so that I could buy as much ice cream as I wanted without anybody telling me, no, you can't have more. So that I had more decision-making capacity. You know, but now that I'm older, you know, I, I wish I knew some of the things that I would be getting into. And I wish someone had told me how, how much heartache will come in life. How complicated things will become. How much responsibility will be on my shoulders. How difficult some days would be. And I wish I had known that when I was younger. You know, we, we feel age is associated with things like weakness. You know, we're worried about our physical health. It's going to get weaker and weaker. You know, uh, to, a month ago I was prescribed these uh, reading glasses. I'm still getting used to them but my eyesight is, is uh, going, uh, we, we fear about losing independence, you know, we, we might have to be a burden on somebody else, and that's, uh, that's a frightful thing, we think about whether, am I going to get more grumpy as I grow older, you know, because as you grow older, the tongue has fewer filters, it's just, words just come out, and you don't care anymore what people think, Uh, You you wonder about, will there be more opportunity or limited opportunity? You know, life becomes more restricted. There's fewer places you can go, fewer things you can do. Worry about that. You wonder, am I going to get more irrational? Am I going to get more superstitious? Am I going to become like someone who says, don't eat this, don't eat that. You'll get this, you'll get that, you know? What's going to happen to my thinking? But the biggest question, am I going to grow old alone? Am I going to be alone when I'm older? Who am I going to be living with? Relationships can get more, can feel more empty and distant. But you know, Anna exposes this bias. That growing old does not have to be a burden. Growing old can be a beautiful thing. And her life is a visible testimony that aging can be done graciously and hopefully and joyfully and if you think about every indian parents dream what is every indian parents dream that my child should be uh, you know educated get married have kids settle down for us. that's it that's all i want get married have kids settle down anna is every indian parents nightmare because she is single she's widowed She's childless and she's a prophetess. That's not a real job. Not in the real world. She is every Indian parent's nightmare. And this is a woman that anyone in her society would look away from. But how beautiful that God, in his editorial decisions, chose this story to be included in the birth of Christ because he wants to put a spotlight on her. Because he wants to say to us that. God sees all the people that we look away from he looks at the overlooked he sees the unseen and I, and I, and I think about it you know you, you might be if you think about Anna's life situation uh, in her day to be a widow was to mean that your life is over socially, relationally, financially and in every significant way she's gone, she's done a widow means you're nothing. In 21st century Mumbai, that might mean that somebody in, uh, has done something so stupid in their career that it's career suicide. It's over. And everyone would look at that person and say, there's no coming back for, the, for for this person. There's no way they're getting back. That's the situation Anna was in as a widow. There's no way back. You're done. But what God is wanting to say is that you know, he, he sees uh, the unseen and he's able to redeem the unreneivable. Anna exemplifies how to grow older without getting cynical. You know, to be cynical is to be bitter with God and to be bitter with people. Struggling to think that you can trust God and you can trust people. You kind of live with a posture where uh, you, you can't trust anyone. The only one I can trust is myself. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's untrusting, it's suspicious and you're ultimately alone. And C.S. Lewis once said that when life becomes difficult, the tendency is not to think that God does not exist. The tendency is to think that God exists, but this is what He's like. He's mean. He's uh, he's deceitful in his motives. He's not to be trusted. He's like a child with a magnifying glass, burning ants, and where are the ants? The tendency is to question God's goodness, not His existence. You get cynical. And if anyone has reason to be cynical, if anyone has reason to be cynical, it's Anna. She starts her life like a dream. She's married, seven years married to this guy. And all of a sudden, without any explanation, without any warning, the thing that she put, put her hopes in is gone. If anyone has reason to be cynical, it's Anna and you know cynical cynicism once it gets hold of you uh, it's like a bitterness that courses through your veins you know, and bitterness is the kind of thing that it, it, uh, uh, you start, it, it's a self-inflicting wound you know you think you're angry with somebody else but you're actually hurting yourself you know it's like a rattlesnake you know when rattlesnakes are cornered and they, they, they feel threatened they start biting themselves that's what cynicism is like It feels like you're hurting someone else, but you're hurting yourself. It feels like you're protecting yourself, but you're actually hurting yourself. So Anna starts her life like a dream, but she faces this nightmare. But instead of becoming what you expect her to become, instead of becoming cynical, uh, she becomes hopeful. And she becomes this visible display of somebody who can grow old graciously. Now there's there's someone else who grew old very cynically, Uh, and very famously Sigmund Freud uh, the psychologist and towards the end of his life he wrote a letter to uh, uh, to a priest actually and he wrote this letter saying to the priest I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole in my experience most of them are trash no matter whether they publicly subscribe to this or that ethical doctrine or to none at all you know, Freud died friendless in broken fellowship with his own uh, peers and with his own followers. And Anna exposes our bias by saying, look, look Anna lived better than Freud died. This visible super-celebrity Sigmund Freud grows all cynically and dies uh, in isolation. But Anna, this invisible person, this nobody that nobody g- would give value to, she grows up joyfully hopefully as a worshipper and god sees her and sees her so the first thing i want you to know if you are in an anna-like situation if you are in an anna-like situation where it feels as if everyone looks at your situation and think this is over there's no coming back from this uh, and you feel in in a city like mumbai surrounded by millions but you feel absolutely alone i want you to know god sees you but sees you he sees the ones that nobody else wants to look at and he's able to redeem the things that nobody thinks can be redeemed so that's the first thing i want you to know it exposes our bias about aging so uh, the second thing i want you to know the grace of god not only exposes us it also equips us let me read to you from uh, from verse 37 it says about Anna, she did not depart from the temple worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. She did not depart from the temple worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. See, Anna is a prophetess. That means she knows God's word, she declares God's word, she trusts God's word. She is the daughter of Fanuel. Fanuel means the face of God and she's a living example of david's longing in the psalms in in the psalms david longs and says one thing i ask of the lord this is what i seek that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the lord and to seek him in his temple so david's longing is poetic but anna's is a living literal expression of that longing this is that is actually her life she does not depart from the temple Uh, she's worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day just like david longed for anna is living like that and there's two things i want you to see about how god's grace equips us it equips us to be devoted to god's people it equips us to be devoted to god's glory so god's grace equips us to be devoted to god's people and devoted to god's glory see anna after what has happened to her she immerses herself into the life of god's people she does not turn to the ways of the world See, grief can turn you one way or the other. It can turn you to find comfort and pleasure and, and uh, some sort of coping from what the world offers you. Or it can turn you into a deeper dependence on God. When you're cynical, you look for your own coping mechanisms. But as a worshiper, even in grief, you will turn to the only one you know who can heal you. Anna does that, she does not depart from the temple. Now, in the 21st century, the temple is no longer a physical place. We're meeting in WeWork. The, The temple is no longer a physical place. The temple is a physical people. It's a physical people. That's why in Ephesians, Paul says, In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. He's talking about you and me. And he says, And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit God's people are God's temple so to be like Anna in the 21st century in this new covenant is to be devoted to God's people You know, the, the tallest trees in the world are uh, the northern California redwoods and uh, they're probably as tall as this building if not taller some of the, tall, the tallest trees are as tall as this building if not taller and you would think, you would think that the tallest trees in the world would have what? The deepest roots in the world. right? If, if they're so tall, obviously their roots must go really deep. But the Northern California Redwoods have roots that go down just three to five feet deep. But they spread hundreds of feet wide in every direction. And their roots are intertwined with the roots of other northern california redwoods so that these northern california redwoods are intertwined with one another to stabilize each other and to share nutrients with each other that's what they do the tallest trees in the world don't have the deepest roots they have the widest roots they're so deeply connected they stabilize one another and they share nutrients with one another what a beautiful picture of what God's people should be. And this is Paul's prayer in the Ephesians. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, will have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you would be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God that's a prayer that's a prayer this knowledge it it takes the power of God to understand the love of God and the power of God is best experienced with the power of God's people So the question I wanna ask you is how devoted are you to God's people are you devoted to God's people? And it's like Mumbai, you can be devoted to your career and it can cost you devotion to God's people. So I want to ask you, how devoted are you to God's people? If you're, I don't want to undermine our careers. Our careers are important. But sometimes our careers can actually fuel cynicism more than worship. And it's in being devoted to God's people that we grow in worship and we grow in capacity for our careers. We can give from what we receive from God's people. And I want you to think about how the grace of God can equip you to be devoted to God's people. Because if you are, as you grow older, you'll be more thankful. You'll be more joyful. You'll be more uh, hopeful about what you have in this inheritance of God's people. And if you feel rich with people, you'll have less desire to be controlled by the uh, all the lights and the sounds of the world those passing glories this glory will be so beautiful to you that's the first thing god's grace equips us to grow old graciously by devoting us to god's people but it also equips us to be devoted to god's glory see anna is a worshiper she turns to god instead of turning on him crisis the bad thing has happened but she doesn't uh, blame god she turns to him she depends on him and look at her life she's she's fasting and praying night and day she's fasting and praying this is a disciplined life this is a self-controlled life this is a life of, of incredible self-control now when i was a when i was a student uh, going to college and things like that they would tell me you know religion is just all about thought control you know all this christianity stuff it's all it's all thought control you know, and I, I, I think now, you know what is an instrument of thought control? This, this is an instrument of thought control. No, but God's grace is an instrument of self control. This takes authority over you. God's grace gives you authority over yourself. You have power over yourself. That's what God's grace does. That's what Anna is living like. And it's an expression of worship. So, and I want to give you a, 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 a kind of a, a description of worship. I don't like the word definition, but it's a description of worship. One of the many ways to de- describe worship. Worship is a holy fascination with God's glory. It is the desire for God's value to be of uh, the highest worth in your heart and in the lives of everyone around you. You just want God to, God's worth to be seen, to be recognized, and for everything to be ordered around his worth. And every other glory is, uh, has no competition with God's glory and no comparison to God's glory in the heart of a worshipper. A worshipper is, 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 has a holy fascination with God's glory. I want God to get the spotlight. I want the entire spotlight to be on what he's like. Nothing else can compete with it, nothing else can compare with it. And I want to give you give you a sign of what these other things are that 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 are that can be competition and comparison. So you think about Anna, right? Anna's life. Uh, she's a widow. Uh, she doesn't have descendants, no success, no fame. Uh, and you think about all these things that we desire: marriage, children, uh, success, fame, beauty, intelligence, uh, glowing Instagram account. Uh, these are all that. These are all things that Paul Tripp, the author. Uh, he, he says these are all things that have something called sign glory. Sign glory. Which means that they are like, the, they have the glory of a sign, right? You, so they draw you in because they're beautiful, they're attractive, and they're desirable, so you want them. But their glory is not in, in themselves. They're actually pointing to a greater glory. They're actually, their purpose is to be signs. So these things are not designed to satisfy us. They're designed to point us to the one who can satisfy us. So they draw you in, but then they point you there. See, look, that, that's, that, that's, that's who made me. Look at him. He's, he's the one of great glory. And Anna never enjoyed the sign glories of life. No, but the, the problem with us as human beings is that we've taken these signs and we've turned them into substitutes. I just want the marriage i just want the children i just want the success i just want the fame and i don't need the thing that it's pointing to if i have this that's enough i'm done i don't need that and we devote our lives we make sacrifices for these substitutes and that's our problem but you think about anna anna never enjoyed the sign glories of this life she never enjoyed the marriage, the, uh, the children or the success or anything like that. Oh, but she tasted the greater glory. She knew that greater glory. She's in the temple day by, day by day, night after day. And she knows the one to whom all of these things point, the one who made all these things. So even if she doesn't have the signs, she has the real glory. And you, you may be, your life may be like that. you may not have the sign glories, you know, but all you need to do is to taste the true glory of God is to go into your room, close the door and invite God to make His face shine upon you. and He will fill your room and turn it into a temple. Because God's glory is easily accessible. It's given to us. It's offered to us all these other glories. You have to work hard for them. But this glory that Anna enjoys day after day, night after night, is something that's freely given to us, freely given to us. The cynic will always and easily turn against God instead of turning to him, but the worshipper will always turn to God, no matter how difficult or despairing it is. You know, And I think about uh, the, the, the Bible writers. The Bible writers are just full of broken-hearted worshippers. Broken-hearted worshippers, not superficial hallelujahs. Right, their psalms are written with tear-stained faces, not forced smiles and grin and bear it spirits. These are real songs that come out of real chaos, and we need to we need to know what this is. This is true about the Bible, and uh, let me let me let me give you a picture of this. There's a beautiful painting called A "Hopeless Dawn" uh, by Frank Bramley. I've asked uh, for it to be displayed here. Let me see if it can. Uh, there you go. This is a painting called "A Hopeless Dawn." by Frank Bramley in the um, 19th century, late 19th century. Now you look at this this picture, it's a room lit up by the dawn. There's a stormy sea outside the window and a woman is on her knees crumpling into her mother-in-law's lap because her husband is lost at sea. So she's facing this chaos, this unexpected chaos, this loss. What you see in the painting there's an open Bible in front of her. And the table is set up like an altar. And there's a print on the wall that hints at the consolations of religion. And this, is the, this, this could easily have been a painting of Anna on the day she heard that her husband has died. Crumpling into somebody's arms, but remembering that if I keep my Bible open, my heart will not close up. If I keep my Bible open, my heart will not close up. And this is a beautiful picture that in her deepest desolation, she found the greatest consolation in the one who has the most glory. And she knew that this, this person is my chief reward. He's my chief uh, object of worship. So even in devastation, i can find consolation in him this grace of god equips us to be devoted to god's glory and when you're devoted to god's glory you can endure these passing storms finally what does the grace of god do beyond exposing our bias equipping us the grace of god enables us it enables us verse 38 and coming up at that very hour uh, this is in the birth narratives of christ Uh, She comes up and she's she's just seen the baby Jesus. It says, uh, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. To all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Ultimately, Anna's graciousness comes from her confidence in God's redemptive power. That is the root of it anna believes in redemption she believes in a redeemer and as a prophetess that means she trusts god's word she teaches god's promises she looks back and she relies on god's word she's familiar with the prophetic expectation she's familiar with this the history of her people and she looks forward by relying on god's promises so she looks back at god's word and she looks forward by relying on god's promises so what do we see when we look back if you look back we know that God's creation, God's world, began as, a desi- as God's dream. So even God's life began as a dream. God's uh, relationship with us began as a dream, a garden with people, beautiful relationship. And what began as a dream, very quickly turned into a nightmare. Because the people that he trusted, broke his trust, turned away from him trusted a deceiver instead of trusting him and suddenly God's world turns into a nightmare, God's dream turns into a nightmare, if anyone has the right to be cynical if anyone has the right to be cynical it is God to say to us, I trusted you and you turned your back on me now I will turn my back on you if anyone has the right to say that it is God but Anna is a prophetess and she knows that our God is gracious compassionate slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love when he faces betrayal he thinks of plan B how can I redeem this so he promises us a redeemer And Anna has laid her eyes on the Redeemer. She has seen the fulfillment of God's promises. For all these centuries, God promised the Redeemer, and now she's seeing him with her own eyes. And I want you to know see, our confidence in redemption should be greater than Anna's confidence in redemption. Because our knowledge of redemption is deeper than Anna's knowledge of redemption she was there at Jesus' birth i don't think she was there at his death we know things today that anna didn't know in her lifetime so what does waiting for redemption look like for us how do we look back how do we look forward so for us redemption looks back not just at the birth of christ but at the death of christ at the finished work of christ so, I remember this uh, book by uh, Tish Harrison Warren. She writes in it uh, a line, uh, she says there's a line from a sermon that has stuck with her for so many years. It's a line that says this uh, You can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to you. Think about that. You can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to you. And it stuck with her. Anna knew that. That's why when bad things happened to her, she didn't lose her trust in God because that's not what she trusted him for in the first place. She didn't trust him because he's useful. She trusted him because he's beautiful. But the question, it begs the question, if we can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to us, well, why trust him in the first place? Why trust him then? And uh, Tish Harrison Warren tells the story of a couple that is sending their child into surgery and they're talking about this before the surgery and they say to one another, uh, she says to her husband we have to decide right now whether God is good or not we can't wait for the surgery to finish before we decide whether God is good or not we have to decide right now whether God is good or not because if we don't we will forever keep God in trial And you know what she's doing instinctively? She's recognizing that we don't measure God's goodness by what happens to us. We measure God's goodness by what happened to Jesus. We look back and we see that God did not protect himself from bad things happening to him. God did not protect Jesus from bad things happening to him that is the only reason you can trust God so let's not measure God's goodness by what happens to us we'll become cynical let's measure God's goodness by what happened to Jesus and we will become worshipers because he did that for us and I want you to know of all other of things I know I, I want you to say I want to say something that might be abrasive but I want you to hear it I, I want you to think I want you to know that what you think is the worst thing that happened to you May not be the worst thing that happened to you. The worst thing that could happen to you already happened to Jesus. He was forsaken. And he was forsaken so that that worst thing, whatever happens to you, whatever bad things may happen to you, this one thing will never happen to you. You will never be forsaken, you will never be abandoned. You know that in your heart. You will never become cynical. You will always be a worshiper, no matter what happens to you. Anna knew this. So let's define God's goodness by what happened to Jesus, looking back at the finished work of Christ. But we also look forward to the return of Christ. Anna was waiting, she saw the fulfillment of her waiting. We are waiting. And we will also see the fulfillment of our waiting. We don't know if Anna was alive when Jesus died. But we know that because Jesus died, she has been alive for all of these years and she is more alive today than she was back then. And I wonder sometimes what it would have been like for Anna. I mean, she if you think about the time she meets Jesus as a baby, Maybe a few years later she passes away and then she sees Jesus in glory. It must have been such a bizarre experience. Like, I just saw you as a baby and now look at you, Lord of the Universe. But she is more alive now than she's ever been before. And I wonder what she would have thought when Jesus told her, you know, I, I told you a story in the Bible. The whole world has read about you. Maybe you know, there's a church in Mumbai also that heard your story. Can you imagine what she must have felt like? Feeling invisible all these years and being honored in this way? Can you imagine? See, her waiting has already been gratified. And one day, your waiting will be gratified in more ways than you can imagine. That's why Paul says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed... You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. You are God's possession and your redemption is in waiting and it will be gratified. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he gives us an imagination of future consolation so that you can endure any present desolation. He gives you an imagination of future consolation so that you can endure any present desolation. Let me close with this. Uh, I've always been fascinated by movies about time travel uh and end of avengers endgame did a pretty good job of it but the classic is back to the future that's the that's the be all and end all of uh, time travel movies and i've always wondered you know if i had a time machine how far back would i go and i and have have had all kinds of things happen to me i grew up in a dysfunctional family Had all kinds of tragedy my mom passed away in the covid second wave not because of covid but something else and Uh, our church has been through all kinds of drama so I've been through a lot I wonder where would I go back in time to maybe change something you know and I think about the new, new creation I think about the return of Christ and my answer to that question is you can't take me back one minute in time you can't you can't take me back one minute in time I wouldn't change a thing because if I were to go back I would be further away from the return of Christ and I want to be nearer to the return of Christ. You can't take me back one minute. You can't take me back one minute. The older I get, the closer I get to the day when I will see what Anna saw. My waiting will be satisfied. My, my faith will become my sight. And I will see Jesus face to face. And he will wipe away every tear from my eye. And my prayer for you, ultimately that is the... That is the secret of growing older graciously because you know the older i get the closer i get to the day i will see jesus face to face and you know that in your heart and you will grow older more joyfully more graciously not cynically let's pray father we uh, look to you lord with hearts that are weary and uh, heavy laden we're weary of the things that we have to do and we're heavy laden by the things that have been done to us and we're tired Lord we live in cities where we have to put up a strong face and uh, put your game face on and uh, get out there and and get going Lord but in our hearts uh, there's so much weight Lord And we thank you for the assurance, Lord, that you see us and you hear us. You know us more than we know ourselves. And Lord, I pray for each of us here, Lord, that we would be as Anna was, Lord. We pray that we would not turn against you, but that we would turn to you. We pray that we would be devoted to God's people that we would be devoted to God's glory and Lord we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts O Lord so that we would see the finished work of Christ in which you have so beautifully displayed your redemptive power and we pray that we would look forward to the return of Christ to God and that you would fire up our imagination and that we would set our hopes on this future consolation so that we can endure any desolation And I pray that deep down in our hearts, deep down in every heart here, Lord, that you would uh, seal us with the confidence that you care for us. And that the power that we live and move uh, in this world would be the power of your love and your mercy and your grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.